Okay, we're here today with Kaveh Sharouz. He's a prominent uh, Canadian human rights lawyer, also a prominent leader against Iranian regime interference in Canada. He's based in Toronto and he's a, an, ex, uh, an expert too on uh, broadly foreign interference in Canada. He recently had a really an alarming experience of uh, uh, preparing to run for the Conservative Party uh, nomination in Richmond Hill. Kaveh, uh, we'll get right into your experience, but I want to start by laying the groundwork here. As you know, you've been following my reporting. Uh, the very key case in Canada was uh, Richmond. That's a British Columbia riding. As you know, as I've reported in 2021, the Conservative incumbent, Kenny Chu, had proposed a foreign influence registry uh, to protect Canadians and diaspora communities from interference. As it's been widely reported, based first of all on my work, WeChat networks were used to smear and attack Kenny Chu as a an enemy of uh, Chinese Canadians. Uh, furthermore, uh, you know, to to describe what happened, it wasn't just WeChat, the the Communist Party controlled social media app. It was, uh, as I know, uh, pro Beijing media entities across Canada but uh, very much based in British Columbia, got involved in the debate on Mr. Chu's proposed uh, foreign actor registry law. And they uh, interviewed Mr. Chu's liberal opponent, uh, Harm Baines. They asked him, would he be against that law? Mr. Baines said very firmly he would be against the law. He saw it as exclusionary. And what do you know? Uh, I haven't reported this, but uh, others have pointed the open source evidence Pro-Beijing media entities uh, supported Parm Baines. They ran an advertisement for Parm Baines. And it gets deeper. I'll end my little spiel here. We're setting the groundwork for what happened to you. Uh, a key uh, Chinese-Canadian community uh, pro-Beijing columnist, who is an advisor to BC Premier David Eby, uh, was involved in this uh, you know, pro-Beijing magazine that supported uh, Mr. Chu's uh, opponent, Parm Baines, who we know won. So this is the most widely known and probably egregious case of a Canadian politician being attacked because they'd be seen as a, an enemy, really, of uh, Beijing's hostile state activity. So I want to say, can you start by introducing, you know, your background, why you wanted to run in Richmond Hill, and uh, do you think Richmond Hill, similarly to Richmond, B.C., would be very targeted by for foreign interference from certain nations? Yeah. Thank you so much for interviewing me, Sam. I really appreciate it. And I love the work that you do. Um, so just by way of background, I mean, you alluded to it. I am a lawyer. and I'm very involved in the human rights and democracy movement on Iran. I would say I, I don't want to kind of give myself too much credit, but I, I would say that in Canada, there are probably not uh, that many people uh more outspoken against Iran's regime. I mean, if you were to list kind of the opponents of Iran's regime globally, I would, I would, I would make a top ten list. I would think. Um, and you know, I, I was encouraged by the Conservative Party, um, and I won't go into too much detail, but I was encouraged by the Conservative Party to seek that nomination in Richmond Hill, a riding that has a sizable Iranian Canadian population, and it has a an, an MP whose positions, let's say, are a little friendly to Iran's regime. So, it, and, and and he's very unpopular increasingly among the Iranian Canadian population. So it seemed like a good fit. Um, and all along, though, I had I had signaled that I was wor worried that there would be a lot of um, uh, foreign interference in that riding. Now, why I got into the race, um, you know, a lot of the, the reasons that politicians get into, you know, that, that people are standing up and, and trying to join uh, Pierre Polyev's team. You know, I 
believe in his in his vision, and I also am increasingly angry at what the what the liberals have done. Uh, so you know, we we would talk about the economy, we would talk about crime, and all those issues. But the issue that I tried to sort of make central the work I was doing uh, was precisely foreign interference. I mean, I, I see that it's not something voters vote on, but to me, it's such a vital issue because it's really decaying and eroding the foundations of our country. Um, and regrettably, um, I think I was victimized. It's very difficult to prove these things, but I, you know, having observed what happened and also having observed foreign interference for a long time, um, there is no doubt in my mind that I was a victim of foreign interference that was left unaddressed. It, it was a very, it played out a little bit differently uh, than the one in Richmond, BC, but um, I'm happy to get into that. Right. So we're talking about uh, we haven't even got into the nomination for the Conservative Party in Richmond Hill. And I think most people that don't follow foreign interference very deeply would say, hey, here's the Conservative Party who is uh, speaking about getting tough on foreign interference. You've mentioned, you know, who would have been, you know, your uh, potential opponent and that person's stance. We'll get into that more. But uh, I think most people would think, hey, what could go wrong with the Conservative Party nomination? So can you get into what, first of all, what, let me let me backtrack. You've said that you could be on the top 10 list of most outspoken critics of the Iranian regime. So did you see any indications, you know, in you running or about to run for that conservative nomination that uh, Iranian regime actors or proxies or social mm -hmm. media? We've talked about WeChat. Is there an Iranian equivalent? What did you see coming forward against you? Yeah, so what's interesting here, and I think what sets my case apart from uh, Kenny Chu's in Richmond, is that this time, you know, for years I've been battling the Iranian regime, and there would be attacks on me from accounts sympathetic to Iran's regime. And, you know, that you, you would expect that an opponent of the regime would get attacked by such accounts. But that's actually not what happened this time. So one of the things that has happened in the Iranian um, social media space in the last couple of years has been that a lot of pro-regime accounts have somehow transformed themselves. This is going to sound weird to, to your to your listeners and viewers, but they have somehow transformed themselves into accounts that purport to be opposition mm -hmm. um, accounts. That, mm -hmm. Like they, they, they have dressed up as opposition accounts. And suddenly the attacks on me were not coming from, you know, guys with beards and turbans. They were coming from these ultra-nationalist, rah, 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 let's overthrow the Iranian regime accounts. Um, claiming that I am somehow, you know, pro the Iranian regime to some extent or pro some terror group that, uh, uh, you know, is, is a Marxist Islamic terror group, just just really nasty falsehoods. Uh, but, you know, to the average Canadian looking at this, they wouldn't understand what was happening. And you know, some of this was happening in English, but a lot of it was happening in Farsi. Um, they wouldn't understand what's happening. They would say, oh, well, you know, Kaveh claims to be anti-regime, but there are all these anti-regime accounts that are attacking him. And so his claim must be false. And it wasn't just these anonymous uh, accounts attacking me. There were also actual individuals who have access to grind um, that would attack me. And then those attacks would get amplified hundreds of thousands of times by these mysterious bot accounts. And so, you know, the, the point was basically to create, to throw as much mud and to create as much smoke as possible to just obscure who I am, what I'm about, and just create fear, I think, in the minds of uh, party officials that are kind of looking at this nomination race. Right. So much to unpack there. But first of all, that's a uh, bottom line. First, as they say in the military, you saw, I'm sure you saw my reports and others about uh, shocking stuff. Again, we have the U.S. government uncovering a plot originating 
in Iran, not India this time, going through British Columbia again, we have Iranian intelligence allegedly using an Iranian narco trafficker who hires allegedly a notorious BC thug, Hell's Angel, you know, an international gangster. Uh, the allegations are something like 300,000 promised to execute, to murder uh, two Iranian dissidents in the United States. So, I mean, I know a lot about the case, but the, the violence, uh, you know, uh, conveyed in text messages captured by the US government would shock people. But what did you, I don't think it would actually shock some people very tied in, in the Iranian dis diaspora in Canada. So tell me what, what, what was your reaction to that case? Well, obviously I was horrified uh, that this is happening, but I was not surprised. You know, if you followed the Iranian regime's actions in the past 40 years, you would know that carrying out assassinations abroad is just, it's just part of what they do. Uh, they target dissidents, they go after them, they use violence, they kill them. They've killed many prominent um, opposition figures. Just a few weeks before this particular story in Canada broke, there was another story um, in the UK um, where two television presenters that work for uh, an outlet, a very popular outlet called Iran International, news came out that they were being targeted for assassination, um, again, by people with ties to Iran's regime. Now, again, you know, a lot of those ultra-nationalist accounts that I, that I alluded to just a few minutes ago, they had been spending their time talking about the fact that oh you know this is this is just a this is just hype these people are not these people are actually on the payroll of the regime mm -hmm. um now mind you the, the news actually came out that the, that the uk police is investigating a, an effort to kill these people so that story broke shortly thereafter we got the story about the canadian angle of it um and you know efforts to carry out assassinations in in the united states it's absolutely horrific um, but regrettably, I don't think people are really taking this issue as seriously as they ought to. Um, you know, our lives are at risk. People like me, um, again, I don't want to uh, self-aggrandize, but people like me that dare to stand up and speak out, um, we have targets on our backs and we just need people to take this issue seriously. Well, yeah, there's a prominent, you know, journalist and outspoken person uh, in, in the United States, in New York City, where the FBI intervened in a plot to either rendition her or kill her. I'm sure, you know, the community knows very well about that. Did you have any indications you were being followed, monitored? Do you have, I mean, people will say the race hasn't even started. Why, why have you backed out? Did you have concerns for your family, your safety, your reputation? I, I well, certainly for my reputation, and you know, we can talk about that more. Again, these accounts um publicizing nonsense about me. But as far as physical safety goes, yes, I was I was worried about that. There were anonymous accounts um, on several occasions that would actually post my exact location. They would say, you know. Kabe is meeting at such and such a place with such and such a person, um, indicating to me that I was being physically monitored and this was being put on social media. Um, and obviously, that's a very unsettling feeling that you know somebody's watching you and reporting your activities. And I, I don't know who they are, but I can only assume they're affiliated with, with Iran's regime. And that's, that would be the most natural group to try to target me. Um, and it really puts uh, fear in your heart. And, you know, I've got, a, I've got a family that I have to protect. And at the end of the day, you know, there's only so much physical risk you can take in, in order to do this work. Well, and I mean, my reaction when I, I learned of your news is, one, uh, if if you had been elected to the Conservative Party, you would be not only a nightmare to the Iranian regime, you'd be a nightmare, I believe, to the number one threat, the Chinese regime, because, as, am I right? You're very strong on foreign interference. You would You would be up there. I'm sure you would be involved in the foreign policy circle with that party, if elected, a lawyer, a leader globally on this issue. You'd be pushing for tough laws, would you not? 
I would absolutely be pushing a tough loss. So, you know, in, in the riding of Richmond Hill, where I said there's a sizable Iranian population, a sizable Chinese one, two threat actors, I, I think, would probably not want to see me elected. And, you know, I, I suspect some of the threat, um, some of these attacks came from the Iranian regime, but to the extent that the Chinese government was involved as well, I mean, it's, that's a possibility. I just have no visibility into it. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I want to comment on the complexity you're talking about. You're indicating that people that would appear to be uh, critics of the Iranian regime were involved in attacks on you. I can tell uh, our, our viewers here that, uh, again, U.S. government cases in New York, where we always have to learn about what's really happening. They've found in the Chinese community, people that purported to be democracy activists were actually uh, Ministry of State security plants. So there's infiltration, uh, there's confusion, uh, you know, people that would want, would look like, uh, you know, uh, pushing for democracy are not. I can tell you, you know, uh, I haven't proven this, but I can tell our viewers that there are deep concerns in the Chinese community that some people that may even have access to the uh, the foreign inquiry that is, you know, would be giving witness as democracy activists might not actually have those interests. So can you comment on that? You know, uh, first of all, your experience and the complexity you see within the Chinese Canadian community. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I can't comment too much on the Chinese Canadian community, but on the on the the parallels um, with the Iranian Canadian community are, are uh, incredible. Um, there are figures in our community that purport to be democracy activists. They're very loud. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to say they've sort of ingratiated themselves into the Canadian right increasingly uh, with some of their rhetoric. So the Canadian right has come to trust them. But if you were to ask any democracy activist, real legitimate democracy activist um, uh, that works on Iran, they would say this person's almost certainly a regime plant. So that exact same dynamic plays out. Um, you know, the role that these people play is to um, tell Canadian society that, you know, such and such a person that legitimately is a, is a human rights activist is, you know, a, represents the Iranian regime. They're, they try to discredit these um, actual activists. Um, and what they do is they try to just create disunity and, and break up any sort of unity that might come together in the opposition against Iran's regime. And that's the role that they play. And it sounds like that's exactly what the Chinese government does. I mean, these dictatorships all play from the same playbook. Um, and once you've seen it once, you kind of see it play out in, in various communities. Right. And so let's dig into Richmond Hill again and stay on the theme of complexity. There's a lot of good open source researchers that they may be on an anonymous online. Uh, I've seen you and, and, and your network do digging as well. But on the on the China side, I'm aware that, you know, the liberal incumbent, there's a tape out there where uh, he's sitting beside uh what is known to be a very key fundraiser and organizer sort of in the Markham, Thornhill, Richmond Hill. Uh, and, and he says, uh, we're all working for this guy, Mr. Shen. And I think he said it jokingly, but the people that, you know, I work with say, well, this person, Mr. Shen is always at these, you know, Chinese consulate events and uh, is always involved in fundraising, is close to the, the suspected threat actors that have access to Canada's government. Do you see, uh, not necessarily, you know, the incumbent in Richmond Hill, but possible cooperation between people that would be close to the Iranian regime and the Chinese regime in terms of foreign interference or interests in Canada? Um, I, I do see that. I, I think there is an increasingly sort of a nexus between um, Iranian regime actors and Chinese state actors. Um, and you see it play out. You know, you've got the MP in, in Richmond Hill who seems to have 
uh, very close ties, as far as I can tell, with with people that I think, you know, CSIS has come and said may may represent the interests of the of the Chinese government. Um, he has close ties to people that uh, that, um, for example, our our tax authorities, CRA, have come and said are running operations that are fronts for the Iranian regime. He seems to sort of cultivate relationships with both sets of threat actors. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he sort of seems to be the nexus point of these um, two uh, state actors that um, are are interested in, in attacking and, and dismantling our democracy. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a real problem. I saw I want to take you to a tweet thread, a, a really good one that you did. You responded to a report from a uh led by my former colleague at Global News, Stuart Bell, which I was involved in because I'm, you know, I guess I'm the guy on underground banking and its connections to foreign interference. Uh, Mr. Bell dug up a case where uh, a person, an Iranian uh, immigrant investor in the Toronto area, according to CSIS, allegedly had used a currency exchange to run millions of dollars into Canada underground for allegedly the Iranian regime. It was routed through Dubai, and I don't want to get off uh, on a tangent here, but the patterns exactly matched what I revealed in the Cameron Ortis case, and that is that Toronto currency traders either uh, convicted or charged in the United States of being Iranian, you know, state actors, are running billions of dollars, billions, through Canadian banks. It's going offshore to Dubai. And this is allegedly uh, related to threat financing, uh, counter proliferation, not to mention organized crime. So um, laying the groundwork there, let's get to your tweet. I think you know the person you're talking yeah. about. And I think you said that you had seen uh, the liberal incumbent in Richmond Hill with this person. Is that right? And if you can uh, call yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's this person who, you know, CSIS alleges, as you mentioned, is a money launderer for Iran's regime. And you dig up the records and this person has made donations to the campaign of uh, the Liberal MP in Richmond Hill. Um, you will see that the Liberal MP in Richmond Hill has given this guy a tour of Parliament Hill and uh, there are photos of him in front of the Speaker's chair in, inside the House of Commons. Um, you know, they, event, they attend events together. Initially, the Liberal MP um, denied that he even really knew this guy or remember this guy. And then photos started surfacing of them actually spending a ton of time together. Um, so very, very shady relationship there. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's safe to say that, um, you know, the, the Iranian regime is doing nefarious things and trying to buy influence. Now, you know, I, I don't want to make allegations that I can't back up, but certainly there is an effort to, to buy influence among our elected officials. Right. I want to talk a little bit about I've done a lot of reporting because I accessed an unredacted uh, NSI cop. That's the National Security Panel report to our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, in 2019. Essentially, people that are listening, have read my reports. It said, Canada needs a foreign agent registry. Canada needs to follow Australia's example. Uh, Canada needs, uh, you know, to redo our CSIS Act, our, uh, you know, probably the criminal code to deal with hostile state interference. Maybe uh, it's, it's, it cites willful blindness in Australia's elite that was overcome. Why do you think that Justin Trudeau hasn't yet got a foreign actor uh, interference registry in place after what four or five years now when here's my case uh a hell's angel was hired by an iranian narco working for iranian intelligence to kill two americans and if we had a foreign actor registry canada could have gone after this hell's angel but of course only the united states has that law so they're doing the work 
why hasn't Justin Trudeau done that law yet? Yeah, it's it's an incredibly complex question, and I can't claim to know the answer. I mean, I have I have two theories. One, um, neither one's good, but one's worse than the other. I think the the relatively benign one is, as you say, just willful blindness. Like people just aren't taking this issue as seriously as they should. They don't see it as enough of a threat. They they, they think it's maybe politically not advantageous to champion this idea. Um, and they're being negligent, like they're, it's their election of duty to a large extent, in my view. So that's the more kind of benign explanation for it. Uh, the more problematic explanation, again, I can't back this up, but it's just a, just a theory, is that the rot in our system is so deep that, you know, we've got um, state actors that are, that are captured. We've got institutions that are captured that are kind of standing in the way of this and resisting this. Um, obviously, neither one's good, but I, I sincerely hope that it's at least negligent so that we can overcome it rather than the second one of, of the deep rot in our system. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more to that rot? Because I, you mentioned elite capture or individuals in our government uh, horrifically could be captured. But from what I hear, and these I'm talking about former high-level CSIS, high-level RCMP, the concept they raise is that Canada, the rot could be so deep that we could not, we could be talking about the threat of state capture. And people may listen to this and say, you know, this is just alarmist. That is so absurd. But I think, you know, people perhaps like you and I that start to really have insight into this say that it it is not that far-fetched. So what are your thoughts on foreign governments getting that level of control? I'm, I'm happy you said that. You know, if, if the people that know me personally, they know I'm an even-keeled person, or if you read my writing online or read my articles, I'm I'm not a, a crazy person. And yet a lot of what I'm alleging here sounds insane. Yeah. Um, but, it, but but it's it's not like, you know, I once know. you start digging into this stuff, it's shocking. Um, and yeah, I, I am deeply worried about state capture. I'm worried about the key institutions in our country, the ones that are meant to protect us against this stuff, um, have been captured. People are just looking the other way, um, they're looking for an easy paycheck or they're looking to get elected and it's just easier to go along with this stuff rather than to try to fight it. Um, and I think by the time that people wake up and realize how big a problem it is, it may be too late. I'm I'm afraid to say that I'm I'm hearing people like very credible, whether they're current or former. Look, I'll say it right now. This is why people started to come to me and had to leak records. They're afraid of state capture. They're afraid the next election won't be free and fair. So, I mean, I think we are we probably lose sleep in the same way about this concern. But on that point, I mean, what would it take you to to come back and 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 run for Richmond Hill or another riding? If people are watching this and saying, hey, this guy could be one of the Canadians that turns this ship around before the ship sinks, as we're just talking about, what would it take? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I have any more elections in me, but I, what I want to see from political parties um, is to actually begin to talk to credible people in these communities that are affected by uh, foreign interference um, and learn from them. I mean, one of the problems I had in trying to explain all this to the Conservative Party is they didn't understand the nature of foreign interference. I think in their mind, foreign interference would be guys in turbans, um, you know, yelling about protecting the Islamic Republic. That's not how this works. There, these actors that we're dealing with, these threat actors, are much more sophisticated. And I think our political parties need to become more sophisticated. They need to talk to communities, they need to talk to experts um, and figure out how to combat this stuff. And um, that our, our parties, regrettably, and our political elites, they don't know what they don't know. And that's that's really the key problem. And I, and I hope that we can, you know, this is one alarm bell among many that uh, at least um, gets people thinking about the issue. 
Well, yeah, we're we're almost to the end of our our time here. I know that you've got some time off coming up to decompress, but speaking to your point, um, another case in the United Kingdom shows a political staffer that was supposedly one of these people that is working on countering Chinese influence, according to the allegations, was working for the United Front. So yes, we need to look at the complexity there. Um, Probably no one in the world could answer this question better. Another case of Canadians not getting it, again, in the NSI COP unredacted report warning to, to Justin Trudeau for 2019, it says Russia, India, China, the number one threats. No one will really disagree with that. But why is Iran not there? And what the report says is because they don't have a diplomatic presence, they're not put up there anymore. And I know you're chopping at the bit, but I want to say yeah, it's... My, my, my sources would say, look, Iran uses gangster proxies. Iran uses the complexity of think tanks, think tanks that have reached out to me to speak. And I say, thanks, but no thanks, because I know who you're working for. So uh, talk to me about that, that point. What are, uh, do you know about the nefarious side? That is the people that may look like business persons but yep. their organized crime who are involved in this and and the Iranian guards what's the influence here absolutely i mean if you're look if you think that foreign influence only happens through an embassy with diplomats then you don't understand this issue it comes through business operations it comes through think tanks it comes through academia it comes through as i was alluding to earlier so-called opposition figures that have been captured um, or that have been planted um this is this is a whole new world we're operating in. This is not the spycraft of you know the 1950s and 60s. This is a whole other thing. Um, and yeah, you know the use of gangsters, the use of hell's angels, for example. I mean, who would have thought of that? Um, so the fact that you know Iran is not noted as one of the, the top threat actors to this country, I find that laughable as somebody who, who observes Iran and the Iranian community and the influence of the uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps and the money they bring into this country, the amount of property and businesses that are bought. Um, all of that tells me that. Our country is falling prey to a number of state actors, including Iran, and that threat needs to be taken seriously. Okay, uh, I'm sure we'll do this again. So uh, thanks again. Uh, a lot to unpack, and we'll we'll come come back for round two soon. Take care. Excellent. Great to talk to you.